Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. He is Rod. I am Cameron. And Michigan State starts the Big Ten play uh, with uh, a road visit to uh, Minnesota. Uh, Minneapolis to take on the Gophers 7-0 and coming into this season. Of course, Rod, they got a new coach, Ben Johnson, um, as Patino heads off to New Mexico State, or is it just New Mexico? New Mexico. I forget. New Mexico. Uh, so uh, Ben Johnson played at Minnesota. Recently he had been assistant at for Xavier for three seasons. Um, and he's got a major rebuild here. Um, they, they lose Mashburn, went to uh, follow Patino to New Mexico. Booth Gotch goes back to Utah after coming from Utah. Uh, they lost Brandon Johnson to DePaul, um, the uh, Cal Shear to Iowa State, uh, Marcus Carr to Texas. Yeah, that's <laughs> a big one. So, I mean, they really uh, have uh, had a, a deal here. Uh, despite that, seven and zero to start, ninetieth uh, in Ken Palm overall. It's it's a total rebuild, you know. Um, I believe in terms of their playing group, there's one guy who's back, Eric Curry, who's starting for them at center. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've and usually these kind of situations are very very rough. Um, what has changed and frankly has changed that dynamic and and means that a, a Big Ten-level team should never be in absolute scorched earth territory again is the portal. Yeah. You know? Um, and, and right now, I, I heard somebody, I can't remember who it was, who made this comparison, but they're absolutely right. When you look at Minnesota right now, what they look like is a mid-major all-star team. <laughs> and I don't, I don't mean that like, wow, they're they're even better than you know some mid-major teams that we see make a an NCAA tournament run. They're not, they're not that good, but mm-hmm. it's it's a roster that looks a lot like you would see um, from better end mid-major teams, mm-hmm. and and I don't mean that just in terms of talent. I also mean that in terms of their size, because the fact is. They're very small. So, but having said all that, there's far, far, far more talent here than Minnesota would have had if this kind of situation had uh, had happened even say four years ago. You know, yeah. Go back, go back, and remember what Indiana looked like when Tom Crane took over after the Kelvin Sampson fiasco. Mm-hmm. Everybody transferred out, even in that era where guys would have to sit out a year. That's the thing. You don't know if all those guys would have left if they would have been looking at sitting out a year. But, you know, it, it happened in those days, too, where there'd be a coaching change and rosters would just leave, you know. They mm-hmm. just decimated, even when guys had to sit out a year. Uh, you know, that Indiana team 
that Tom Crean had in his first year was one of the worst from a talent perspective, maybe the worst that I've ever seen in the Big Ten. It wasn't his fault. I mean, he got he got those guys to play hard, and they were, you know, at times they were competitive because of it, but there was just no talent. Uh, this is not that scenario because Ben Johnson could look at that and say, all right, we're losing all these guys, and who knows? Some of them may have been – I don't recall all the timing. I'd have to go back and, and check. I didn't care that much. Uh, but it's possible that some of those guys are guys that Ben Johnson just didn't want. You know, I think most yeah. of them – he probably would have retained uh, if he'd had the choice. But those guys cleared out, okay. He had time to go out and seek replacements. The the mid-major all-star part of it, too, is that he wasn't able to get really uh, high-major transfers. So uh, the guys he's got are from places like eh, George Washington is kind of a mid-major plus. They're an A-10 school, so that's not quite at that level, but – you know, Lafayette, um, uh, I'm trying to recall some of the other places their their guys have come from, but it's William it's, and Mary. William uh, and Mary. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of guys from mid-major programs who are stepping up to the Big Ten level. Now, look, so far so good. You mentioned they're 7-0. and I actually, uh, yesterday was the first time I, I got to see an entire game. Uh, I watched them play at Mississippi State. Um, saw Rocket Watts play. It was, you know, okay at best for Rocket. Uh, he has not lit the world on fire, in case you haven't been, any of our listeners haven't been paying attention. I think he was two yeah. for five from three. He had eight points, no assists. You know, it was kind of kind of what we saw last year. But uh, to me, he looks a step slower than he used to. But anyway, to get back to the game, Minnesota had big leads throughout a lot of that game and then let it slip away and really had to scrap and claw to hold them off. Um, Any road win at a Power 5 school is a good one, and they've got two. They beat Pitt, who might be the worst Power 5 team in the country. They beat them in the Big Ten ACC Challenge at the buzzer. Uh, and then they held off Mississippi State. I think it's unclear how good Mississippi State is, Mike. I've seen them play a couple times this year. I don't think they're necessarily an NCAA tournament team. But, mm-hmm. hey, road wins are road wins. And if you told me that Minnesota was going to have two Power 5 road wins at this point in the season, coming into the year, I probably wouldn't have believed it just because I wasn't very confident in what they had uh, and what they had assembled, you know, on their roster. Uh, but, you know, look, give them their due. I mean, I, I think that uh, – Ben Johnson has at least got enough on hand and has got to these guys well enough in terms of how hard they're playing that, you know, Minnesota should be able to set uh, an expectation that they can at least be competitive. I'm not sure how much they're going to win in the Big mm-hmm. Ten this year, but, you know, I, I thought they were almost certainly going to be the worst team in the league. And I don't know about that anymore. I mean, Rutgers has just been abysmal, just mm-hmm. awful. Wait, it's sad to see because Steve Peichel had to fight so hard to get that thing to a tournament level, and and it just appears to have all collapsed on them, even with some key guys back. So they might be the they'd be the team that on paper looks the worst right now. That's for sure. But you know, Minnesota, who knows? Uh, you know, they they might be able to avoid the basement. I think that alone 
would be a victory for Ben Johnson in his first year, given he had no time mm-hmm. to really do any high school recruiting of any substance. Um, and and uh, not to get a sidetrack here, but um, we hadn't really mentioned the um, Mark Turgeon uh, yeah. stepping down at, at Maryland. What, what yeah. you, You'd been touching on that for a little while. Any couple kind of years. surprising, though, to Timing was surprising, but I'll tell you what, um, my feeling had been, but we've been talking about it here for at least a couple of years, mm-hmm. and um, I thought two years ago he might have gotten, bought himself a little time by winning, finally winning a share of a Big Ten title, and then last year, when he really didn't have much to work with, he had a deeply flawed roster, and you can blame that on him. But the fact is, he had a deeply flawed roster. He had no size, didn't look like he had a lot in the way of offensive material to work with, and he got that. Do you remember those two games Michigan State played against them? They were unpleasant. Yeah. Because Maryland just punked Michigan State with their toughness. You know, they, that team had a, a, an ethos about it, a style of play. They bought in and were gritty and tough in a way we don't normally associate with Maryland. And so I really thought, you know, okay, he's he brought in a lot of transfer talent. And we talked about it here in the season preview that, hey, they might not be as good. Mm-hmm. On paper, they look a lot better. It looks like the quote-unquote talent is improved. But that team had such a dynamic about it and with Morsel especially gone. that And maybe that should have been – a bigger sign than I think anybody was interpreting at the time. A guy who was a four-year player there, was the captain, was clear-cut the leader of that team, transferred out to Marquette yeah. instead of doing <laughs> his COVID year there. Why? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I, the, the story was that he felt he needed to go somewhere where he'd be a featured player offensively, and he is getting more shots at Marquette. He's scoring more and all that. But uh, you wonder about it. And I mm-hmm. did wonder, would that – change actually be positive or not for Maryland? Well, so far the evidence is it's been very negative. I mean, they're a bad basketball team right now. I watched them yesterday get beat at home by Northwestern. And Northwestern's improved, but no, that's Yikes. not a game you should lose at home. It's just not. And and they're, I think Maryland is 5-4 and four now. Yeah, they got four losses. Yeah. It's, it's spiraling. It's swirling the drain fast. You know, they've got a they, – they really need – and Danny Manning is the, the interim. Uh, you know, not a, lot of, not a lot of reason to think it's going to get turned around this year. I mean, they've got some talent, so I suppose anything could happen. But getting to tur- back to Turgeon, I think with that start, it just kind of sealed his fate. I heard somebody – might have been on the Jeff Goodman on that Field of 68 podcast I was listening to – made the comment that, you know, if Turgeon really liked his team, like you'll hear Tom Izzo talk about that, like, yeah, I like this team. Mm-hmm. Even when they're struggling, he might say that about a, a group. If a coach likes his team, he's probably going to stick around because even if the going is tough, because he figures he might have a chance to turn it around. Mm-hmm. But Turgeon might not like this team. And he might have figured, hey, this isn't going to get a lot better I've got abuse from all quarters in this fan base, which he's dealt with for years to varying degrees. I mean, basically the best thing you can say for Mark Turgeon and the Maryland fan base 
during the entire time they've been in the Big Ten is he has occasionally been able to quell the disturbances. That's the best you could say. <laughs> they've never embraced him. They've never, they've never really felt, from what I can tell, they've never felt enthusiastic about him as a head coach. And so I think he just looked at that, maybe didn't love his team, figured, eh, why prolong this? Why go through the headache of another three, four months with this when I can just end it? And yeah. so I think that's what happened. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch that job because, look, the truth is, in terms of the way most people evaluate these things, that is a great job. It really is. That school cares about basketball. They're in the Big Ten, obviously. They have nice facilities. And maybe most of all, they sit in one of the prime recruiting territories in the country, mm-hmm. um, the DMV. I mean, and, and the funny thing is that for as good as Maryland's program has been over the years, I think there's a feeling, and it would be an accurate one in many ways, that they've never fully exploited it. They've had a lot of talent there, but I just mean the amount of great players. If you think of the truly great players that have come through that area over the last 20, 30 years, the fact is Maryland has missed on far more of them than they've gotten. Yeah. You know, I mean, a a kid like Carmelo Anthony, Kevin Durant. Those just start with those two guys. (laughs) Maryland doesn't get either, you know. And as far as I can tell, wasn't ever really close. Um, and historically, so, they're like a top 10 program. Well, I, I might differ with that. I'd say top 20. I'd say top 20 in terms of accomplishments. Um, they got the one national title. They don't have a ton of Final Fours. Um, they don't have a ton of regular season conference championships. Now, you know, look, the ACC and the Big Ten, it's not easy. But, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where they've been. But... You know, they've, they've always been a factor. I mean, I go back to, you know, my youth, Lefty Drizel was the guy there for forever. And they were always good, but they were kind of, you know, Carolina was always the heavyweight. And then, of course, Duke emerged. You know, Maryland was kind of in a next tier through a lot of the 70s and 80s with, say, NC State. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they but, – but those fans – believe, my sense is, they believe they should be an elite program. And there is some basis for that. You know, that is, again, as I say, on paper, a great job. It is going to be very interesting to me to see what they do. Uh, Probably the worst scenario, honestly, would be that Danny Manning turns it around and they feel like (laughs) they have to hire him. Because I don't think that's a good long-term answer. But, you know, I've seen some media reports uh, on what they might do. And I've seen suggestions that they might take runs at guys like Nate Oates or Chris Holtman that are at football first schools and figure, well, maybe, you know, you can't, you you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So maybe you take a shot. I don't think they're getting either of those guys. Um, Frankly, I I wouldn't take Holtman anyway, because I think Holtman, I know people might disagree with me on this, but I think he's a half step better than Turgeon. I've said it here many times. I think he's underachieved in that job a bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as much as Turgeon had in his, but enough. You know, I don't think I'd make that move. Oates would be great, but I don't see why they. I don't see why he'd move. Um, so then, you know, you're talking about who's realistic. Well, one name that keeps getting mentioned, Kevin Willard at Seton Hall. 
I don't know how that fan base will feel about that. He's done a nice job, and Seton Hall's had a nice program since he's been there, but that's not, you know, heavyweight named. Mm-hmm. And I think those people feel they're entitled to a heavyweight. Where they're going to get one is another question. Um, another name I haven't seen mentioned in any media talk, but I'd sure be looking at it if I were them, is Danny Hurley. Now, well, there's there's nothing saying you can get him, but look, UConn is not living in the same financial world that Maryland is. Big East does not equal Big Ten. UConn is a basketball first school. I'm sure, I'll have to ask my brother-in-law, because um, he's a UConn fan and follows it closely. Um, I, I, I'm sure they're compensating him well, and I'm sure they'd up the ante to some degree. But could Maryland just go out and straight out buy him? I don't know. I'd, I'd think about it. I'd think mm. it would be a, a possibility. Um, so that would be a name. Then, then you know, you start getting into other um, other names, smaller smaller schools, that kind of thing. And it's way too early to know on that stuff because you know we're we're just barely into December. By the time we hit March, there's going to be a mid major darling or two, right? Yeah, somebody um, will pop up. I think the names that I would dismiss that I've seen, John Beeline, I don't think John Beeline is interested in getting back into college coaching. And if he was, I don't think he's going to come into the Big Ten and a job with the pressure of Maryland. You know, his thing, in a best-case scenario, you figure probably three years to get it up and running with the way he chooses to go about it, the way he recruits. I, I don't think he's a guy even with the recruiting advantages in that job, that you would just hit the ground running and there you go. You know what I mean? Yeah. It would take a little while, and he doesn't have the time. He's getting up there. Right. Yeah. So there's that. Um, and then then I think another name you'll probably hear a little bit is Rick Pitino. Oh, and, yeah. And look, never say never, but I'm just about ready to say never on that one because I – I just can't see how it can be justified. I mean, Maryland <laughs> over the years has played it fast and loose on the rules stuff at times, but that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a mighty long bridge to get to Rick Pitino. One other name I'll mention that just are, I've seen mentioned in some of these lists and occurred when I thought about it, I thought, well, maybe, Bruce Pearl. You know, mm. um, there's a difference, I think, between him in that job at Auburn and Nate Oates at Alabama. And it's subtle, but I, I think that I could just imagine Bruce Pearl maybe being more willing to take that jump and perhaps Auburn being a little less willing in Alabama to battle on a financial front if it came to that. Not that they uh, couldn't do it necessarily, but would they? You know, yeah, I think Bruce, Alabama. Bruce Pearl makes a decent amount of money. I think yeah. he's in like the top fifteen or top twenty. Okay, and, but then the question is, you know, we're in this reality where you see the the ceiling for football coaches going up seemingly right. every day, and and I think it's true to some extent, not the same level, but for basketball as well, right? Mm-hmm. So, would Maryland, if they decided he was their guy, and look. He's a he's a cheater. He always has been. But the guy's a very good basketball coach too. Yeah, no mistake about that. If he if he got to Maryland, they'd win. You know, um, would Maryland be willing to just go higher? 
than Auburn would. I, I sense that Alabama may be at a point finally with Oates that they've decided they truly want to be a two-sport school. Mm-hmm. And I think that if if somebody came calling, that's why I've – there are other reasons for this too, but any talk about Nate Oates being a guy to succeed Tom Izzo whenever that time comes based on the fact that he coached at Romulus High School, I, I dismiss. But one of them is that. I don't think Nate Oates – I think maybe – a Duke, Carolina, Kansas might be able to get him to move, but I think that's probably about it. Um, I don't think he's going anywhere. And part of the reason I think that is I think Alabama likes the idea of being a two-sport school, joining that, you know, some of these other, Michigan State being one, Michigan, a lot of the Big Ten is obviously, but, you know, a Texas, um, Florida has been that way for a while. You know, I think Alabama likes that. And I think they probably – I could see them being willing to go to the financial mat a little harder than Auburn, but that's just a guess. I'm, I'm talking out of, my, out of my rear end really on that. But it just – at first blush, I feel like Bruce Pearl would be more realistic. He's also a lot older, so, you know, there's limited upside from that perspective. Um, you know, he's not a young guy. But, um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting because that fan base, I'm quite sure, has – High in the sky expectations about who the next guy is going to be, and I don't know. <laughs> I think I think those answers that would satisfy everybody are few and far between. You know, they're not they're not getting Tom Izzo. That's not happening. Um, they're not uh, they're not getting Mark Few. Um, they're not getting. Uh, they're not getting um, Chris Beard, you know. Yeah. There's you start to get past those names because now we're living in this world where the, the names I would have included on the list are not getting Roy Williams, they're not getting Coach K. Well, those guys aren't around anymore. They're not getting Bill Self, you know. So there there just aren't many of them. Anybody you get is probably going to come with some question marks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the one so, thing anyway. we have seen with the football has showed us is. If you show people the money, you may be able to get people that you would not have thought possible. You know, you know. Here's here's one that just occurs to me. I haven't seen them mentioned at all. Um, would they be willing to break the bank and just throw like ungodly amounts of money oh, at Scott Drew? Jay right? Oh, I'm, you're not getting Jay right. You're not getting <laughs> Jay right. But Scott Drew? Oh, that's a possibility. Yeah. You know, Baylor. Look. Baylor has definitely emptied the vault to keep him, and they got a national title now, and you would think they'd move heaven and earth to keep him. But I don't know. I would, you know, I don't think he'd move, but, you know, might you might you take a shot if you were Maryland just to see? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, look, the, the fact is all you got to do is look at the major jobs that have come open in in recent years, like the last couple of years, and you see what happens. You know, Texas got lucky because Chris Beard was there. He was an alum, and he was at a place that could never match their financial uh, wherewithal, you know, Texas yeah. versus Texas Tech. So, okay, they got lucky. UCLA ended up with Mick Cronin, which, you know, looks okay now, but nobody was happy about that there. Mm-hmm. He was nowhere near the top of their list, you know, Carolina and Duke had coach directed decisions that hired they hired from within. You know? 
So we don't have a lot of examples of big, big, big name guys moving. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's, I think that Maryland fans should be prepared uh, for maybe a name that isn't tremendously exciting to them, you know, right out of the chute. I, I, would, I would at least think there's that possibility. But they had to move on. This was probably an inevitability at the end of the season. If it was going to continue going the way it was and is, um, Turgeon was probably going to get fired anyway. So mm. why prolong it? Yeah. Well, uh, getting back to Minnesota, uh, <laughs> yeah. offense, not so good. 144 overall compared to 68 for Michigan State. Uh, but they're a fairly solid shooting team, 36% from the three. Um, they're 86 in the nation in effective field goal percentage, and they shoot 69 from the line. MSU is, uh, by comparison, 36 from three, 71 at the line. Yeah, I, you know, I think that the in watching them yesterday, it kind of feels very um, feast or family to be mm-hmm. looking at them on offense. You mentioned uh, 36 0.2% from three, a good part of the reason they are managing to be top 100 in e-field goal percentage, which is nothing to write home about, but it at least means you're not abysmal, uh, is that three-point percentage. And to me, that's the deal. I mean, mm. if, they're, if they're hitting, like they went on a 14-0 run to start that game against Mississippi State. And, and at different points in the game, when they got it back out to a double digit in the second half, it was because they were just raining threes. But when the threes aren't falling, it's it's a struggle. They don't have a post game really at all. Uh, their guards are not really of the sort that you worry a lot about them beating you to the basket. Um, it's it's just kind of a it's a three point it's a three point shooting deal. Uh, the mm. free throw shooting is okay, but. You know, I'm pulling this up here. I don't think I looked yesterday to see um, where they're at in terms of how often they're getting to the line. My anecdotally, my sense was they're not. Um, yeah, they're not. They're not. Score, they're not getting to the line very much. They're number 267 in free throws as a percentage of their overall scoring, mm-hmm. and they're 241 in free throw attempts uh, divided by field goal attempts. So it's it's not good. They really are a team that's going to be largely based uh, around the three in terms of their success because that's just the kind of roster they've got. Yeah, their offense rebounding is second worst in the country. (laughs) It's terrible. Second worst in the country at 15.7%. Yeah. So just to, again, at the risk of belaboring this, to educate people what we mean by that, that means – of all their missed shots, they're only getting an offensive rebound on 15.7 of them. So if you figure an average game is, you know, let's say an average Big Ten game is 60 shots from the floor, right? Um, that would be uh, like a couple. Yeah, that would be like <laughs> nine offensive rebounds. Um, probably. I'm sorry. That. No, that that would be it. Would be less than that, um, because uh, if you say the average Big Ten game, if you miss thirty five to forty shots, it's going to be a it's going to be a single digit. Or, yeah, uh, like single four. digit. Yeah, it, it, it's it's not good. And again, they just don't have size. Um, they're also not playing many people. 
That is something mm-hmm. else that has got to be kept in mind in this game, is that it is a very shallow bench. I mean, we talked about that with regard to Toledo. This is yeah. even worse. Um, so I, I think that... Uh, I think that that's um, that's definitely something to uh, to be concerned about. Uh, they aren't taking care of the ball though. 14th yeah. in the nation in turnover percentage, with only 14% of their possessions ending in a in a giveaway. Yeah, and and I think that's you know that's the highlight for them. That's also a big part of the reason why uh, this is an offense that's even grading out. As as well as it is, considering that uh, they don't really have um, a lot else to speak of that would argue for for good offensive performance, they're at least not giving possessions away. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not getting they're not getting extra possessions. Certainly, you know that's yeah. not happening. Uh, because they're not they're not hitting the offensive boards at all, but uh, they're not they're not giving them away, and so that helps their cause a little bit. That at least they're getting opportunities to score. You know, yeah. Uh, on defense, it's a little better. Fifty third overall. Um, they've been great against the threes. Only twenty three percent against them, um, and. Uh, they're top 100 in limiting attempts, so that's good. Against the twos, they're a little bit more pedestrian, 133rd in the nation. Uh, so it's like yeah. protecting the three, taking care of the ball. It's and it's weird too because the the limiting. I watched them as I say in the Mississippi State game, and they played a lot of zone, a lot of oh, zone. Did they? I, yeah, anecdotally. I'd say maybe two thirds, seventy seventy five percent of the time, it was a it was a lot of zone. And, oh boy! And so I don't understand. And it's not like it's a Syracuse, you know, weird matchup zone where they're actually extending out on the floor. It's it's not that. So I'm I'm not quite sure why those numbers are held down. Mississippi State didn't seem to have any problem getting threes off, but. Um, I I think this those numbers are a little bit of fool's gold mm-hmm. because looking at them I think Big 10 teams are going to be able to move the ball and get and get good shooting opportunities from deep. Um the 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 defense against twos is predictable because they don't have much size and you don't have to worry about a rim protection element. None of those guys are shot blockers, so you should be able um you should be able to to uh to do some damage in the paint as well. But we saw how well that played out the last time for MSU against a Toledo team that was much, much worse against twos, and MSU just didn't really do anything there. Um, I mentioned Minnesota is really shallow, and I suspect the zone is part of that too. Just preserve minutes for these guys. They are number 358 in the nation in bench minutes. So four of their starters average at least 35 minutes a game, and the one guy who doesn't is Curry, the big man, six nine, uh, and he only plays twenty eight and a half. So uh, this is a team that that just is is trying to get everything they can out of those five starters. Uh, one thing that is helping them manage to do that um, is they don't foul. Mm. You know, we mentioned they don't draw a lot of fouls, but they also don't commit a lot of fouls. 
teams are only scoring 13.8% of their points at the free throw line. So Minnesota is is keeping their guys out of foul trouble, which means they can keep them on the floor. You know, I think all of that is kind of feeding into some of these decisions as to why they're playing zone. You know, uh, if we look at the starters, Peyton Willis, six four senior, comes back to Minnesota um, after a one year detour. I think I believe he was down at College of Charleston. Um, That's right, and he averaged seventeen point four points a game. Uh, 50 from the floor, 44, 59 from the line. Uh, and he leads them in assists with just under four a game. So he comes back <laughs> back to, uh, to Minnesota. Yeah. Um, you know, he's been a key guy. He went crazy against um, Mississippi State uh, from deep. So uh, give him a lot of credit for that. Um, he's had a nice year for them. Uh, 44% from three. That's that's kind of what um, that's kind of what he always was. Um, mm-hmm. It's just he's shooting it better. Um, decent, you know. The, part of the part of the problem is that um, I don't think he's really a point guard, mm-hmm. and so that you know they they don't they don't really have a choice to play him there, but it's going to limit all these things that I'm talking about in terms of how effective um, how effective their their offense can actually be. Um, so, uh, but a nice a nice season thus far. He's also getting about five boards a game, so he's doing about as much as you could realistically expect out of them. Uh, and then Luke Lowe, 6'4", senior transfer from William & Mary, averaging 6.9 points a game on 41, 18, and 78 from the line. Uh, and he's uh, second in assists with 23 in seven games and only eight turnovers. Yeah, uh, you know, started 80 games at William & Mary, so one thing you can say is he's got a lot of experience, right? Yeah. Um, the three-point shooting is obviously a problem at 18 points a game, or 18% on the year. Um, decent job playmaking, and that's you know, that's about that's about where it, <laughs> it ends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Jamison Battle, six seven, two hundred twenty five pound sophomore transfer from George Washington. Um, so he's a, a Minneapolis native, and he leads them in scoring eleven point or seventeen point nine points a game, forty eight from the floor, thirty four from three, and seventy from the line. I like him. You know, he's he's as I said, he's a kid who is from Minneapolis. They got a couple of those. Um, went away to uh, to go to school, at George Washington, because I assume Minnesota didn't offer him. And he had two really good years. You know, last year he averaged seventeen point three points a game for George Washington in the A ten. So you know, you might not have expected he'd come in and do pretty much exactly the same thing at the uh-huh. Big Ten level, but. It's not a total shocker that he's been productive. He was a guy early in that game against Mississippi State. He was just on fire. I mean, he took he took shots I didn't even think were good shots and hit them um, from deep. Uh, the 34% actually, when I went and looked at the numbers after watching that game, it surprised me it was that low because uh, he was which then tells me he's just you know kind of a heat track guy. Um, but he's a nice player overall. You know, he's got some good strength to him. His body's put together. He looks at home on a Big Ten court. Um, nice player and definitely their best player right now. You know, yeah. leading him in scoring, 
uh, second in rebounding. That's a nice combination. And he's got eligibility. He's not a one-year guy. He could do two more years there. Oh, okay. Uh, so then EJ Stevens, 6'3", senior transfer from Lafayette. He's averaging 11.1 points a game, uh, 42 from the floor, 45 from three, and 63 from the line. Yeah, um, you know, uh, this is what I mentioned, the the mid-major all-stars, right? Uh-huh. Um, he's, uh, you know, from Lafayette. He had a good year in the Colonial last year. So kind of following up on that, again, not, you know, they, they the shooting numbers are there. Um, he's not getting as high a volume as some other guys. I think they might want to think about doing that a little bit more. Um, but uh, 16 but yeah. points a game in the Colonial. Yeah, you know, he had a he had a good year. He definitely had a good year. I think he was third team all league. Um so a nice player, you know, filling a role for them. Uh and then the one guy they have returning, Eric Curry, uh six nine senior, averaging seven point six points a game, um, and leads them a rebounding six point three. Uh shooting forty percent uh from the floor. Uh hasn't taken any threes and eighty percent from the line. Yeah. I think with him, man, you're just happy for him that he's able to play. Because uh, this is a guy who really, I mean, he goes back a long time. I'm positive of this. He's definitely in his fifth year. It might even be his sixth. I'd have to go back and look. He was, I know he was on, he was on that team that beat Michigan State in the Big Ten tournament, which I think, I read about this. Was that Miles? He, and and he was there for freshman year. Yeah, he was there for at, in 2017. Then he missed okay, so 16, 17. Yeah, so he goes back a long time. He was early on. He was a guy that really had a lot of potential because he had some spring to him. He had decent size. He could. He. I remember he could shoot a little bit. The shooting has kind of gone away. Obviously, the athleticism has been. Um, has been damaged because uh, he's just not the same guy athletically. But um, you know, I think that uh, I think if you're um, if you're uh, Minnesota and really anybody, any fan of the game, you're happy that he's out there able able to contribute and play. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's the first thing. Um, and you know, he gives him look. It's a critical it's a critical role for this team because they just don't have any other size. So at least physically he can go out there and hang with some of the guys Michigan State's got, you know. Um, so at least he brings you that. And so the remake season bench players, <laughs> Sean Sutherland, 6'5", senior transfer from New Hampshire, uh, but also a, a Minnesota native. Um, yeah, He missed the Mississippi game. But uh, he's shooting uh, 9.2 points a game, 58 from the floor, uh, just missed one three that he took in 68 from the line in 19 minutes. Yeah, weird, a, a perimeter player who doesn't shoot the three. But he's really it mm-hmm. for their bench. He's playing like 19 minutes a game. He's the guy. And if he can't, if he can't play, um, then uh, – and we don't know. He's got a knee injury. He's listed his day-to-day. Um, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. That's a real problem for Minnesota because they just may not have anybody that they can turn to 
to provide quality depth. And mm-hmm. look, you're playing Michigan State. That is not a position you want to be in. Yeah. Uh, the the other big guy that they use, Charlie Daniels, six nine two thirty. Um, he transfers in from Stephen F. Austin, uh, just a 1.6 points a game, two rebounds in 11 minutes. Yeah, um, I had a bad pun in the uh, or <laughs> in the uh, in the yeah. uh, preview. It said the Gophers, the Gophers went down to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I read uh, that now. It was confusing me for a second. Right. Instead of the devil went down to Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> um, this Charlie Daniels does not have a long beard, uh, and he's not playing country music. He's instead a uh, minimally effective big man reserve. <laughs> so he he gets the other minutes that Curry doesn't play, really, mm. in the five. Uh, he must be pissed at his parents. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> It'd be pretty sweet if you like had an awesome dunk and then did like a fiddle over, like running down the court right. the other way. <laughs> Something tells me that's not likely. No, I, I'm not likely. Uh, and then Will Ramberg, six five freshman, averaging three minutes uh, so far. Yeah, I, I, these last two guys, and he's one of them I mentioned only because they have played in most of their games, even if just for a few minutes. And it's hard to project out what it's going to look like in Big Ten games for a team like this because you can say, well, they don't want to play guys beyond the top seven. Uh, But, you know, the way the Big Ten goes, foul trouble, and if Michigan State gets into transition and turns into a little bit of a running game, they may not have much choice but to Mm -hmm. do that, you know. So they might have to go a little deeper than they've been going thus far just because the situation's dictated. Uh, and then they got a Abdullah Chum, six four junior, a JUCO transfer uh, with freshman eligibility. He's getting four minutes a game. Right. Same wow, same that's rationale. Bad. Same rationale. These last two guys are not playing much, but you know, I, just the way I look at it, um, it, it's possible that they might see a few minutes out of necessity, if no other reason. Yeah. Uh, so we look at the keys, Rod, turnovers is the first one. Minnesota's really good at limiting theirs, so we may not have the luxury of a good deferential this game. Well, that, that's the thing. You know, if you're Michigan State, you figure there are some areas where you can you can really hopefully do damage. And the two that we talk about as being most important are turnovers and rebounds. Rebounding? I would be very surprised if Michigan State doesn't have a distinct advantage. Mm-hmm. But turnovers could even that up for Minnesota. And that's what you don't – you can live with them having an advantage. You just can't have it be something that's apocalyptically bad. You know, mm-hmm. something like 14-11, not a big deal. You know, if it's 18-8, that's a bigger deal. And so that's that's what Michigan State needs to be careful about is they can't they can't mistake their way into keeping Minnesota in this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then zone offense. I haven't seen much zone. I think maybe Butler threw zone at them a couple times. They did. And they took yeah. care of it pretty easily. Yep. Um, but, I mean, if they're going to play it consistently all night, maybe see something to look at. 
Yeah, and, and again, I'm not I'm not sure if Ben Johnson wants to do that or if he feels he's got to. And I can see the argument for the got to side because yeah. because guys. he just he's got to he's got to he feels like he's got to keep these five guys on the floor. So what else can you do, right? You mm-hmm. want to do what you can to preserve them, not put them in situations where they're fouling, um, but. The bottom line is how well does Michigan State execute? Now, we have just not seen Michigan State go against a ton of it. So we don't even know yet for sure. Like, how are they going to operate? Who's going to be the guy in the middle of the zone? I I did see them use Malik Hall that way. I think that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Max Christie could definitely do that job, but then the problem is you don't have him on the perimeter as a shooter, you know? So you have to balance these things is where is he best utilized? Is he best fit as a guy who can cash in open shots or is he better in the middle of that thing breaking it down? Um, you know, and then the other candidate probably is, is Joey, but, you know, that's where you, you have some hesitation with where his confidence is right now. In terms of skill sets, he should be perfect for it. uh but I'm not sure. I'm not sure how he'll he'll function. So I would I would hope that we'd see a lot of Malik in that role, and then sprinkling in some other guys. But whichever way it goes, the key is no different than it is against pretty much any zone. You need to get into the gaps in order to force that defense to collapse, to contract, to distort. And then from there, as long as you've got good kicks, you're going to get open shots, you know. And so that means, obviously, the guy who's in that free throw line extended role has to be good, but it also means that there's something on Michigan State's guards to maybe, via the dribble, get into those Mm -hmm. gaps, too, at times. So that's where Tyson Walker, A.J. Hogard are going to come into play, and, and those guys are going to have to execute, you know. But it's it's critical, and then obviously they have to, in conjunction with that, they got to do what they've been doing for the last five games. They got to make shots. Yeah, you know, yeah. when they when they're open looks, and Minnesota's, I think teams are shooting twenty three percent from three against them. That that's not just because of their, what they're doing defensively. That's some luck in there. But the fact remains, you're on the road um, in a hostile environment, and for only the second time this year, and you got to hit shots. When the opportunities are there, so. Uh, and then the third key is boards. Yeah, as I mentioned, Minnesota is not going to do anything on the offensive glass. Yeah. So, God help us if Michigan State is not controlling the defensive points. The other end, Michigan State is not a great offensive rebounding team, but a pretty good one. Uh, Minnesota is an okay at best defensive rebounding team. There should be opportunities for second chances, and that's where you hope if if they can keep the turnover differential limited, you would hope that Michigan State could actually carve out a significant advantage in those two areas combined by really really pounding the offensive boards and maybe you know maybe a five six seven offensive rebound edge. Uh-huh. Uh, and then. Uh, tempo is number four. Yeah, it, important, obviously, for a couple of reasons. One, you always want as many easy baskets as you can get. And two, um, with a team that is this shallow, 
you want to push the tempo as much as possible to try to get in and force them to playing guys they don't want to play. Mm-hmm. And just having the guys that they do play be less effective when they are out there. Uh, in any Big Ten game, it is easier said than done to go out and and run just because coaches are so well prepared and they know what Michigan State wants to do and they usually are able to do a very good job in game planning. Minnesota, it's a, it's a new staff, but the advantage they have is already we know in terms of style of play, they don't commit to even trying to offensive rebound. Mm-hmm. So they should be okay in terms of floor balance. If you're MSU, though, the same things apply as they always do. You just want to you want to run and, and play as fast as you can because that's what you do, and you want to keep those habits ingrained. And even if Minnesota is doing a consistent job of getting back, you know what? Maybe that 15th possession in the second half, they're not focused and they're not able to do it. And because you're consistent in the way you're pushing it, you get an opportunity. You know, that's that's where it starts to matter. Yep, and that's the fifth key, the last 10 minutes. You get like to think guys like Curry aren't going to be that effective that late in the game if they're playing 25, 30 minutes. All of them. I mean, he's, yeah. the, he's the one who's playing the least, 28 and a half. The, the other guys are all 35-plus. So I think the I think the goal. I mean, seriously, they already uh, Willis is like thirty eight plus. I mean, he's never coming off Jeez. the floor basically. So that's why I said like he's he's their point guard. I don't think he's really a point guard. I know he's not, but they don't have any other options. So it, it's it's kind of tough. Uh, I think that um, for. For this game, though, what you want to set as your goal if you're Michigan State is try to run as much as you can, make it as fast-paced a game as you can. But even when you're in a half court, you want to extract a physical toll. You don't want this to be an easy game for Minnesota to play, right? And you can do that in a number of ways. You can do that by being physical. You can do that by just being really hard to go against offensively, which Michigan State should be. I mean, they're, yeah. they're number two in the country in adjusted defense, defensive efficiency for a reason. And, and the goal there being with a team with such a shallow bench that the last 10 minutes, whether it's a combination or a cumulative effect of physical and mental exhaustion, that, um, that you're able to come out ahead in that, in that way. And the last 10 minutes, you're facing a team that just doesn't have much left in its tank. That's what you want. Okay. Well, uh, this one's uh, Wednesday, 9 o'clock on Big Ten Network. Uh, Any final thoughts heading into the Big Ten season? You know, um, we've already seen some interesting games. I mentioned Northwestern beating Maryland. Not many people would have called that on the road at the beginning of the year. (laughs) Um, I, I was actually really shocked. And as we're recording this, I'm watching the tail end of Illinois-Iowa. And, you know, Iowa, I've really been suspicious of. Iowa and Minnesota are the two teams, and and Wisconsin. Those are the three teams Uh that I didn't expect a ton of that have all gotten off to, at least on paper, really, really nice starts. 
Iowa went into Purdue without their best player, without Keegan Murray, and I figured, hey, that could be a 30-point wipeout in Mackey. It mm-hmm. was not. It was a very competitive game. Iowa home tonight against Illinois is up, but it's tight. They've got Keegan Murray back, and although I'm still not buying in, um, the fact is that they've been more competitive than anyone thought. Wisconsin has been better than anyone thought. Uh, you know, Minnesota, their Michigan State's opponents, why I'm mentioning all this, they don't have a string of super impressive wins, but they do have two road wins already against Power 5 opponents, even if they're not good. They're still Power 5 opponents. You know, if you're Michigan State, you look at the way the Big Ten is and you say, well, this is one you got to get if you want to, you know, if you want to compete at the top of this conference, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you only have so many opportunities where you feel good about your chances to get a road win. You know, because most times you're going to be up against it. You know, this is one of those times. And so Michigan State, for that reason, for all the other reasons we've talked about, that you want to you want to continue this early season momentum and, and make sure that good performances are rolling into more good performances and you're building something. So it is important. I mean, I'm not going to lose my mind if somehow they find a way to lose it, but this really is one you want to get if you're yeah. MSU. And it's a Big Ten opener, so you always want to be 1-0. Yeah. Okay. We'll leave it at that and uh, hit everybody back after the game. Until then, the Final Four is not on the schedule. Race fans, Justin Bell here, former racing champion and host of the new F1 podcast, Drive to Win, presented by Win Las Vegas. Join me on the show each week as you'll be swept behind the scenes for an immersive look at the culture, technology, drama, and glamour of Formula One. There's something for everyone, whether you're new to the sport or a lifelong F1 fan. So join us each week as we cover every twist and turn of the F1 season on the Drive to Win podcast. That's Win, spelled W-Y-N-N, presented by Win Las Vegas. Available now on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.